This is the Thursday Night Podcast, your source for news, analysis, and all things Georgia State sports. Because every day is Thursday. Hello and welcome to episode 40 of the Thursday Night Podcast. I'm David, joined by this week. And, you know, Brady, let's just jump right into some basketball talk. You know, Georgia State played the Alabama, sorry. Georgia State played the Carolina schools last week. They came away with two wins. What were your thoughts from the two games versus App State and Coastal Carolina? They were weird games. Um, The bottom line is two double-digit wins, and that's what you needed at this time of the year. The how they got there... Uh, it it was it felt a little bit weird during the coastal game because I was there I was sitting watching Georgia State was up sixteen and it seemed like at that point everything should be rolling along but it it felt like a closer game than that and then sure enough Coastal Carolina cut into the lead closest they got was I think six and then Georgia State turned on the gears again as they've been one to do during the year and just get into a zone and close the game out late. But like I say, the bottom line, the important thing is two wins. It wouldn't really necessarily matter the score at this point. You had to go to an O. Yeah, they definitely took care of business from the win perspective. Uh, but I will echo your sentiments. It seemed like this was going to be another game for Georgia State where they were firing on all cylinders at one point in the game, kind of get through halftime, extend their lead, and then just let the other team, you you know, chip back into the game. You know, it was nice that the Panthers, the final score of the Coastal game was 92-80. You know, that looks really good on paper, but the Panthers didn't have a field goal for the last four minutes and 48 seconds. You know, that type of thing matters against the team who's going to be hitting their shots the team you know run up the score now coastal's offense isn't a team that really does that and so the panthers are lucky in that regard but i definitely understand what you're saying that it seems like it should have been closer based on the performance that the panthers had as the game went on towards the very end i should say coach lanier seemed pretty satisfied with uh the week he said of all of the weekends pairing the Thursday and Saturday games during conference play of all of the weekends of conference play that he saw the most growth in the team in this weekend. Um, and I guess moving back to the app state game right quick, they're a good team. They've definitely impressed me this year. It feels like once coach Kearns continues to get his guys on this roster for them, that they're going to be, a better team year on year. And I was expecting it to be kind of a, a a slugfest, especially early. It seemed like a game that app really wanted, would have wanted to come in and be assertive and say, this is our game. And Georgia state jumped out to a 25, five lead. And I think that that was the same score that they led against Louisiana at home earlier in the year, a team who is not really on the same level as app state this year. So it was really out of the gate, the defense and everything was so smothering from Georgia state that it felt like the game was pretty well in hand and it, it got closer and app state started getting to the free throw line, especially in the second half. And they started cutting into the lead, but that was the game on rewatch that it, it that was the one that felt less 
close at the end. It wa- Watching it live, it felt like App never really went away. But when I watched it again, it felt more like the score stayed kind of close, but it never really seemed in danger. And you can't discount that against a good App State team who they're currently 9-7 and seven in the Sun Belt. And they have one of the more favorable end schedules, in my opinion, of the conference. So I don't know what that means vis-a-vis Georgia State, but just as an aside, it wouldn't shock me if they win their last four and end up 13-7 and in conference, which for where they've been as a program is definitely impressive. And depending on how Georgia State's results go, that could affect them. Yeah, it absolutely could affect them. Um, Currently in the standings, App State is two games behind Georgia State. Um, but App State plays a couple of teams in front of them between Georgia State and them. So, so, you know, they could leapfrog South Alabama. They absolutely could. Um, I definitely agree with what you said about watching the game on rewatch. I think that kind of comes down to free throws in a way, because while we've kind of talked about Georgia State's you know, free throw ability this year. They didn't shoot that great from the line against App State. App State shot 22 of 28, which is, you know, that's pretty decent. You want to be around that 80% as a team. It was you know, 15 of 19 in the second half as well. Exactly. And they they like, started doing it. That's exactly how they got back in that game. They just hit the shots from the free throw line. Um, Every time down the court. That's that's how it has to be. Every time down the court in the second half for a large stretch of the game, either O'Shawn Williams or Justin Forrest was driving into the lane, basically looking for contact, looking for fouls and getting it or laying it off to someone making a cut and then they would draw contact. And it still has to be said that the biggest thing that Georgia state can clean up defensively is defending without fouling. Seriously. That is going to be very important for them because I mean, in that game alone, Georgia state had six, sorry, they had eight more personal fouls than app state. That's you're already in the bonus right there. You know, that's, that is just giving opponents, Free opportunities to get to the free throw line. And that, that absolutely matters. No. They were a little bit better against Coastal. Coastal actually had more personal fouls than Georgia State. Probably 23. That's entirely too high. Yeah, and it, part of it's just, as, as an example, Jalen Thomas fouled out of the Coastal game, and him and Joe Jones have been prone to pick up I, I guess the, the, for lack of a better word, cheat fouls inside and fouls that don't necessarily need to happen. But at the end of the day, they're freshmen and you just kind of hope that they can get rid of those as years go on in the program. Some of that's just freshmen learn the hard way sometimes. And that's one way we're playing inside in a college system when the the talent that you're going up against in the front courts of the other teams is just wildly better and the size is wildly bigger than what you were probably used to in high school. So it's not to disparage them too much. There's a learning curve there and it's, it's, it's just something that's you're going to have to hope on the off season that they learn from how this year went, but they're still offering a lot, even with the struggles like 
I didn't think that it was either of their best games, the two freshmen, but I thought that Joe Jones came out of the gate playing really good interior defense and he ended up picking up four fouls and a couple of them those a couple of those were of the variety I was just talking about, but they're still having a lot of flashes of you you see what there is and there's at least a thought that even if it isn't this year, that the improvement there is coming, but I guess you could also say that the team as a whole who practiced for as long as they were in the program before this year in zone defense and hadn't been up on their man skills, it's entirely possible that part of it's just reacclimating to defending in a man scheme because there's pretty major differences. And so it would be entirely understandable, but it might just be a function of who this team is right now in 2019, 2020, and just something that if there's one takeaway for the off season, I think that defensively it's that that needs to get better. So I actually want to ask you a question about that because earlier in the season, we kind of lauded Georgia state for how good they were with switching to man defense. Do you think that the fouls are a sign of fatigue as the season has gone on or do you think that kind of those early numbers that we saw with them were a little bit of outliers? So I think the transition still has been good because the raw numbers overall, not counting that the fouls aren't good, are good. And I think part of that's like on the perimeter, I think that guys are just incredibly good at getting out on shooters and defending on the perimeter, I think has been a strength. I think that, that's why you see the three-point numbers for opponents nationally ranked very good. I think that's the reason for that. I think part of it's just on the interior, and there's times where it's like two or three guys have a guy surrounded. The defense is in good position, and they kind of just bail out by going for a block and smacking the guy's hand as they're going for the shot. Or I think there's just a little bit of finesse that could be continued to be learned on the inside. And I think that's why the fouls are, but I I would also agree with your hypothesis that fatigue probably does play a role in some of this. And I guess what I would just say to that is, okay, everyone's tired at this time of year. You got to figure out a way to get past that and start getting some more success, especially because there's a pretty decent rotation of bigs. Uh, There's four guys any given night clerkly a lot less than the other three, but You've got options if fatigue is an issue, and it's especially when you're getting into the foul trouble that you're getting into night to night and you're not playing as many minutes, you know, you're playing a little less, so maybe that should help the fatigue some, I guess, but I don't know. I I don't want to say a cop-out like fatigue or use it as an excuse, but I think it's a factor. Yeah, and and, I mean, that's okay. That's absolutely okay that it could be a factor, Um, but I think you're right they still do need to clean that up and make sure that they're putting themselves in a better position to not let teams just have free points at the line so but kind of moving on what are your takeaways from the weekend in the Sun Belt as a whole because entering Thursday Georgia State was three back and you know I'll let you kind of talk about it but they're only one game out of first place right now yeah, it was kind of a perfect weekend for Georgia State as as far as their rooting interests go. 
any, I guess, the Georgia State fan base is rooting interest because we can admit it. We called the putt on the conference title, the regular season title, a little bit too early. Um, even as far as last week, we were kind of tempering expectations and being like, well, you kind of got to hope for Little Rock to lose and you try and win as many games as you can, but it's not looking great. Um, I think the implied part underneath all of that, which, you know, it's not like we talk about Georgia State athletics for a living, so it's not it's not a bad thing to leave stuff implied, right? Um, it's not like we explicitly talk about things. The The part underneath that was that Little Rock was going into what was undoubtedly the last hard stretch for them with two games against the Texas schools on the road. And so if Georgia State was able to sweep the Carolina schools this week at home, and if Little Rock went winless in Texas, the door was going to go right back open. And that's what happened. Little Rock went 0 for 2, losing at Texas State, losing at UTA. And then just as a nice rivalry cherry on top, Georgia Southern lost at home to App State, and now Georgia State is alone in second place for now, one behind Little Rock. Offline, you had mentioned that this was probably going to be the result for Little Rock because it was, you know, the end of the season, the rest of their way outside of their rivalry game with Arkansas State, you know, necessarily that much to play for because they were honestly so far ahead so kudos to you for calling the results this past weekend um i think this this is a great opportunity though for georgia state um there's you know the top two teams in the sunbelt as we've discussed before for the tournament you know just get to go straight to new orleans but i think especially given what we thought that this year would be and what everybody thought that this year would be for georgia state if they can sit there and and change coaches, change schemes, you know, not even have the system in place that Rob Lanier wants and still go out there and win the Sunbelt regular season title. I think that is absolutely huge for this program. Yeah, we can get into the bigger picture, what could be better, what needs to get cleaned up, and we will. But I definitely think you can't underscore, or I guess you can't, overstate just the symbolism of what can winning the regular season title for the second straight year, but under entirely different circumstances and entirely different regimes, it would mean a lot, even though the difference between the one seed and the two seed is nothing when it comes to the actual tournament. I think that there is a certain amount of, we've talked about it on here in the last couple of pods of Coach Lanier wanted this team to make their own identity. And this would be a real way to put a stamp on this team being the level of the teams that they've seen before at Georgia state that they wanted to emulate, but they couldn't just be that team because a lot of players lost a lot of players left from last year and it wasn't the same team, even if it was the same uniform. So I think Georgia state can kind of control their own destiny in all of this because of who they continue to play. The Texas teams are coming up on the road. Texas state is also up in the top four right now. 
and then you host Georgia Southern, and then you host Little Rock. So these are all teams, if Georgia State wins against, I guess, even just any two of those teams, that might be enough to have a higher seed than them if it comes down to tiebreakers. I be greedy, go 4-0 down the stretch, but it's going to be a tough stretch for sure. Yeah, it definitely is. And I, I want to preface, we are not calling anything at all with this Georgia State team. You know, the job is absolutely not done. However, it is nice that they have put themselves in a position to control their own destiny going into the tournament. And, you know, if you go 4-0 in these next four games, congratulations, you're the one seed, you know, you'll beat two teams that are chasing you and you'll put some separation between you and them. You know, you will beat the team that everybody has unequivocally said, this is the best team in the conference all year. And then obviously you would take that mantle from them and, you know, it'll give you a chance to rest and kind of rejuvenate before the tournament, you know? So that's these next four games are so critical for Georgia state, you know, and they're not easy. They're not easy at all. I mean, as we just said that, Texas schools just swept the supposed best team in the conference, you know, and, you know, they were good wins for both of those schools. Yeah, I I guess resetting another goal, take every school except Little Rock out of the equation, which we can't really do because if Georgia State and Little Rock drop games, then other teams work their way back into the conversation for the top of the Sun Belt. But supposing it's just those two teams at factor, if you match records the next three games going into the Little Rock game to finish the regular season, if you have the same record as Little Rock, then if you win, then you'll end up tied and the tiebreaker will go to Georgia State on head-to-head. So as far as just as Little Rock goes... If you just match records the rest of the way, if that means you have to win every game because they win every game because their schedule sets up pretty nicely after what was a tough road trip for them, then that might be what you have to do. But that's, I guess, the 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 simplest way to put it is match records with them and then beat them. Now, of course, you if you don't win the other games and you just match records with them, then Georgia Southern and Texas state are within striking distance. And even a South Alabama or an app state technically are as well, but that's at least the simplest way to put it as far as little rock goes. And it, it feels, it feels like the team that I'd be most worried about surging right now is Texas state. I, I feel like they're getting rolling right now. Yeah, that's the I don't want to say trap game because, I mean, it's basketball, so nothing is a trap game. But that's definitely the game that Georgia State will have to watch very carefully because it would not necessarily surprise me if Texas State wins out and ends up being the two. So I guess the the definition of toughest road trip changes every year, but I think it's not at all a stretch to say this year for the non-Texas teams, the, the hardest road trip in the Sun Belt ha- is the Texas trip. Really? You don't think it's the Georgia trip? Like, I know, I know we that's kind fair. of poo Southern. That's fair. I mean, there's still a good team at home. All right, well, then let me just say, without getting an argument, I guess I hadn't even considered the Georgia s- schools as a road trip. <laughs> <laughs> well, have um, come here. For Georgia State's purposes, then, I think this is the toughest road trip, which 
I I mean, just off the top of my, I obviously lost Arkansas State this year on the road and lost to Coastal, but I think that just the way that these two teams play and that they have their style, which is going to make you work hard for the win, they're both good home teams, and right now they're both playing well. They're coming off of two good wins on at home against the Arkansas schools. Um, this is the the type of game you want to be in. This is why you suit up. You want to play in games that matter in February and in March. So it's not at all something that should be daunting to Georgia State. I think they're ready for it if they show up. But I just think that uh, this is th- for this year. This is the the tough ask and I think that facing realism, I'd say going one and one would be a win and winning both would be awesome. But I think that if you had to pick one, I think for just tiebreakers alone, I think the Texas State game is more important, which it it seems done given that all we just laid out that picking one that is more or less important because the cliche is true. They're all important. But I think that if you had to pick one, if I had to pick one, I would say I would rather the Texas State win. Oh, yeah, definitely. If UT Arlington beats Georgia State, that doesn't change a lot of the landscape of things. But if Texas State beats Georgia State, that's they're tied in the standings and then Texas State leapfrogs them. So absolutely, you definitely want to get the Texas State win at a minimum. So, Yeah, I mean... Like I say, this isn't a scenario where I have to pick one that's a win and one that's a loss. Uh, Nothing says that's going to be the case, except that it's tough to win on the road. But I'll also just say this as far as like big picture things, little victories, all that. If Georgia State sweeps this road trip, they'll be done on the road this year and they will finish eight and eight. And at least going 500 on the road is a minor victory. It's not something that every team is able to do finishing 500 or above on the road. So it would feel like a nice little, you know, thing to rest on. Nice, nice thing to go back and, and say finishing 500 on the road. The goal is better than that big picture. But I think especially after some of the, the dropped games that happened this year, if you had the possibility to still go 500 on the road, you'd take that and you know that the the real reason you can go 500 on the road and win the conference potentially is that you're just playing so well at home. Yeah, I think they've only lost what the Troy game at home this year. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, you know, it'll be, it'll be nice to see what happens this week. As you said, these are the games that, you know, you want to be in and I think Georgia state will be fine. This is a week where if it isn't, if it isn't foretold that Georgia State is going to foul a lot, this is the week to clean it up because both Texas schools shoot 76% as a team from the line. So these are dangerous teams to give free throws to because they're going to probably make you pay for it, especially if the fouls pile up at the end of either half. Yeah, absolutely. And... I guess just putting a pin on Texas talk, the thing that I'd want to watch is for Texas state 
in the home matchup against Texas State, Georgia State did a really good job of limiting who at this point might be the front runner for player of the year, Nigel Pearson. And he's the only scorer for Texas State who's in double digits, and he's at nearly 20 a game. He's having a great year. So I think if you can find a a way to tap into whatever worked for you in December and limit him and make someone else beat you, that's going to be your key to beating them. Yeah, he had a horrible game when they went to Atlanta. And it's It's a thing three, three for 15. Yeah. From the, from the floor. And there's been a decent history of this, this year for coach Lanier's team. Uh, they against app state, Justin Forrest went three of 18 and pretty much all game didn't really ever look comfortable on the perimeter. And that's, I think what the key is, is this was, how Georgia state jumped out to a huge lead against app state. It's how they've been when they've had their best stretches on defense and offense combined is when they've not really let the other team find any kind of comfort on the offensive end and where they're passing around the perimeter for most of the shot clock and they're getting bodied when they're trying to drive, you know, in the way that isn't a foul, just kind of like they're getting stopped on the drive. Um, and I think that that's going to be the key because I think Texas State is definitely going to be able to do that to a degree. And I think Texas Arlington as well. They're both solid defensive teams. But if you are also a solid defensive team against them, I think ultimately the shooting talent on Georgia State is just better than the talent on either of the Texas teams. But if it gets into a dogfight, especially with the home crowds behind the Texas schools, that's where it's going to be tricky. So I think if you can stay up like a similar lead to what you had against the Carolina schools this past week. And if you can keep that kind of a lead going and just not let it be that close of a game late, I think that's going to be the key because as we've seen in recent games, when it's close down this stretch, even though Georgia state's had some success in close games this year, it's no guarantee. And especially when you're on the road, you don't want to have to bank on pulling one out late. Yeah. Earlier in the season, they were super good at finishing games, and lately it seemed like can't figure it out in the last, like, two minutes. So it'll be interesting to see what happens this weekend. Uh, But for now, you know, we can do our weekly segment where we answer some of our listener questions. And so let's see. We got some questions about baseball and women's basketball. So Barstool at GSU asks... What are your thoughts on GSU baseball receiving votes for the top 25? Things are looking promising. I emoji. Thank you for including the emoji. Oh, of course. Uh, I was going to insist you did if you had not. <laughs> I I don't know. So since this question was asked and since this podcast has been recorded, Georgia State lost 10-8 at Gardner-Webb on Wednesday night. Uh, so it's, they're 3-1 on the season now. What I would say, first of all, is it seems early on the bats are definitely there and the, the pitching has been where the struggle is. And so in a good baseball league like the Sun Belt, if the pitching doesn't take a, a step up, I'm not sure that this is going to be the year for success. But I would also just say if you're leaning towards 
being excited or not being excited about Georgia State baseball, I would just say go for it because I think that this is a chance for the program to take a step with a new coach. And I would agree that things are looking on the up and up because it's been a stretch of Georgia State baseball the last couple of years where there hasn't been a whole lot to root for consistently and not been a lot of strong starts to the season. And then it's a tough baseball conference. And so the struggles have continued through May. So I would say definitely still while tempering expectations for the start, not a problem getting excited, thinking things are promising because I think that things are looking brighter under coach Stromdahl. And I, I would just say that no expectations or lower expectations for now isn't necessarily a bad thing, but he's got a good track record of completely turning around from the ground up, actually, the GGC baseball program. So I'm definitely also interested to see where things go. I'm not going to say that I expect them to be getting top 25 votes all year, but it's definitely a cool feather to put in your cap this early on. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, any chance you can do that, take it. And then our other question we got from Crystal was, the women's basketball team are on a four-game winning streak. What do you think is contributing to the success? That's a good, good question. Thanks, Crystal. Um, it's I kind of want to be a little facetious uh, and get, and say a pretty noteworthy stat, but I will, I will say it in jest. Um, So in the last four games, the Lady Panthers have played the Arkansas State Red Wolves, uh, the Little Rock Trojans, and the ULL Raging Cajuns and the ULM Warhawks. All four of those teams have failed to score 10 points in the fourth quarter. Huge. Um, And regardless of what happens before you get to the fourth, you're not allowing teams to score in the fourth quarter, probably going to win a lot of basketball games. Um, You know, it's also been their three point shooting. Their three point shooting has been better. They've been out a rebounding team. Um, It's nice that they finally hit a stretch of games where, you know, they're at home. Sorry. Two of those games were on the road, but a nice stretch against teams where they took care of business and they even got a win that you probably wouldn't have expected them to get because ULL is a has a higher record than they do in the Sunbelt standings. So it was definitely a good couple of weeks for the women and I hope that they can continue that as they get through these last four games, last five games of the season. Yeah, the, the top of the Sunbelt in women's basketball is quite good. Troy is a team that is pretty consistently good And so it's been a bit of a struggle of a year for the women's team, but they're on the cusp of making the tournament and really just closing out strong enough to get to new Orleans, see what happens I think is the way to go and, and see if there can be a rebound next year, because there was a lot of promise in year one under coach Hill and I don't necessarily think it's any reason to sound the alarm based on how this year's going. Sometimes these little blips happen, but this is definitely a a good close to the year after what was a a slow start to conference season and maybe worry inducing. I will say it appears that they only have uh, four or five upperclassmen on the team. So that could be contributing to their slow start to conference play and their 
you know, quote unquote setback. Uh, um, I will also say that they did seem to play a pretty decent schedule. Um, so that probably also plays a factor. Um, hopefully, as you said, that they can turn things around next year and go back to being fun. They're they're still fun now, but yeah. winning is always better than losing. Here, here. Hot take, I know. Well, as always, thanks for the questions, guys. Yeah, we really appreciate it. You know, it's nice when there's engagement going on between us and you guys. So please, if you ever have anything you want to ask us, you, know, you have our Twitter handles and Facebook information. By all means. It, it feels dangerous to give the suggestion of uh, non-related to Georgia State questions. But do you have unrelated questions that you just want to throw up. I know that we've gotten some food questions in the past that were fun. Definitely doesn't just have to be Georgia state, but that's going to do it for this week. Not a lot of football to touch on, but pretty soon we expect to see the complete schedule for 2020 for football. We'll definitely be covering that as and when information comes out and spring practice is just around the corner. Thanks so much for listening guys. And we'll see you guys next time. Thursday Night Podcast is a production of ThursdayNight.com, the independent source of choice for all things Georgia State sports. This podcast and all included sounds are exclusive property of and copyright 2019 Jordan Crawford Enterprises, LLC, on behalf of ThursdayNight.com, unless otherwise specified. The podcast is produced by Programming Director Brady Weiler and Technical Director Jordan Crawford, with assistance from co-hosts Taylor Dynan and David Salmon. You can find the podcast on SoundCloud, as well as podcast aggregators like Spotify, Google Play, and Apple Podcasts. To submit questions and comments, or to request information on advertising and corporate partnerships, contact the show on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram as at Thursday Night, or via email at thursdaynight at gmail.com. 